Hello everyone, welcome back to Gamer's Gambit. I am Al, and with me today is a man who has limits to what he'd do for a Klondike bar, but he'd do some pretty sketchy shit for a taco. How you doing today, Wayne? You are incorrect. There are people who know what I've done for a Klondike <laughs> bar, and I've been on the run ever since... I'm still haunted but by what I did for that Klondike bar. But it was 10 years ago. No, I'm it just kidding. It was 10 years ago. <laughs> so, statute of limitations. <laughs> what is the statute of limitations for doing something sketchy for a Klondike bar? Depends on how sketchy you want to get. I suppose. Well, before we begin, uh, first, I do have to apologize. If you hear a little bit of banging around on my end, it's because I was having some microphone issues, and apparently the two microphones I do have are both shot because I was getting background noise when I was trying to uh, test them. So I'm using my third microphone, which is actually a good quality microphone. The only problem is I haven't gotten around to getting a, a proper stand for it, so I have to hold it by hand. So if there's a little bumping around, I do apologize, but well... We've got some, definitely have some news to talk about today. Now, normally I try to pace things so that, you know, we try to get the bad stuff out of the way first, and then we try to lift you up a little bit, or, you know, I try to space the stories where we talk about some good stuff, and then we might, if we talk about something bad, then we'll try to talk about something good. You know, we'll, we'll tear you down, but try to build you back up. Unfortunately, well, with this today, some of the stories we have today, it's uh, we'll start out happy, but unfortunately, I think we're all going to kind of go downhill from there. So, let's start with uh, a very positive story, and this is an article from Ars Technica. Losing yourself in virtual worlds can have good as well as negative effects, and. This article was about how video games can actually help with depression. And it had an interview with a psychologist named Pete Etchels. I may not be pronouncing that correctly. And he had a book he wrote called Lost in a Good Game. And he, in the article, they mentioned how, as a teenager, he lost his father to motor neuron disease. And usually whenever you know the anniversary of that event came around you know he'd get a little down or a little depressed and he often found that during those times taking solace in video games helped and one of the things he would did as an escape is he recreated the log cabin that they used to you know vacation at in minecraft so this gentleman is now a psychologist at Bath Spa University in England and still does game. And he specializes in understanding the behavioral effects, both positive and negative, of video games. So, did you get a chance to read the article? I did not. My, my feed's been going a little wonky here, but... Tell me, tell me more about this, and I'll, I will tell you what what I believe because I think this is a no brainer. Yeah. I mean, it, it took. See, the thing is, is until you do the sciency part, 
you can't just take anything for granted. You actually have to prove things. And it's something that we you can kind of figure out, but you can't officially call it real until somebody does the research. Well, he did do some research, and it started out, he mentioned a video game that came out a while ago called Remission. It was a third-person perspective game where you shrink down and go inside somebody's body in order to fight off cancer. Now, this game was designed for a specific purpose. Like, remember several episodes back we talked about, I think it was like Sequest Hero, that game that was designed to try to help predict if someone's at risk for Alzheimer's? Yeah. And we also talked about there were the series of games that were designed specifically for doctors as a way to help them diagnose illnesses. And, uh, you know, for I think there was like a, surg a surgery one that was designed to help surgeons, you know, again, practice their craft. Uh, well, in this particular game, Remission, what it was, it was designed specifically for younger people who are going through chemotherapy. And the reason that it was helpful is because part of the problem is, especially with children that young, they might not necessarily understand everything that they're having to go through. Yeah. So this game was designed as a way to help explain what, you know, why they were going through this therapy. And it was actually shown that children who played this game showed a better adherence to treatments, to their, their treatments. So that would help them in the long run. Now, he also mentioned a couple of other games, which I had never actually heard about. Uh, one of them was called Last Day of June, which I did look it up because it sounded interesting. It was supposed to, it was designed to help people with, who are dealing with periods of grief in their life. And this was a, a video game about a man and his girlfriend named June, where they, they get in a car accident and June dies. So during the different levels, you can go through, you're going through these levels trying to find a way to prevent the, the accident, but the player finds out that no matter what he does, someone is always going to die. So what he does in the end is he decides to sacrifice himself so that his girlfriend can live. Uh, let's see, there was also another one. I didn't read about it, but it was called Sea of Solitude which had a theme about depression. And then there was another one that was also interesting called Hellblade, uh, Senua's Sacrifice. Yeah, that... I, wanna, I actually want to play that one. It's supposedly a really good look into um, mental illness and the stigmas about it, uh, about mental illness. Yeah, because the, they mentioned in the article that the character suffers from psychosis, so again, it was supposed to help people try to understand that and again, understand what uh, it's like to go through that particular type of, of mental disorder. They also mentioned something from World of Warcraft, which I believe you are don't play that game, correct? I do play that game. Oh, you do it. Okay. I'm on a slight hiatus, but... Do you remember the Corrupted Blood incident? Yes. You know, so they he, taught, he mentioned that where uh, even though I guess it was because of a glitch or an accident, people were, or doctors and scientists were actually used that as a way to help uh, predict how diseases can spread in real life. Yeah. So it was very annoying. 
so were you actually playing during the Corrupted Blood incident? I don't think so, but I remember people talking about it. Um, and yeah, that was around the time where there were happy glitches also, where you'd have like giant uh, raid level world bosses being brought into the middle of the city so they could just kill people. Mm -hmm. um, especially since they were lower level. So a lot of those things were done, you know, some of them by accident because they didn't realize things. Some of them were done on purpose. Yeah, and the I think what he was trying to say in uh, the article, and, and the book sounds interesting. Might have to try to pick it up sometime if I can. But that the, you know, the, the reason that these games can have that positive effect is because they do give you that, they do give you a way to try to understand and make sense of something. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was interesting because, again, as just nowadays we hear so, so many stories about people blaming, only focusing on the negative things that video games can do. And so it is nice to hear when we have someone who is actually, you know, a psychologist, someone who has studied this, you know, to actually showing that yes here are ways that video games can actually help um so the in his case he found that these virtual worlds he was exploring helped him struggle with the questions of human mortality and death so that's where why he was saying that he after he lost his father why he would create that log cabin that they used to go to for a vacation because again it helped bring about those positive memories yeah, I I think what's strange is more than movies, and tell me if I'm wrong, but video games give you sometimes a personal look into a story where you jump into the character. Like, you can kind of watch a movie, but it's sometimes not as personal as it is when you actually get to play and experience what a character, you know, experiences. That's why some of these, like, CSROs, uh, you know, is it uh, Blade of Sasuna, or I forget what the... Yeah, Hellblade, uh, yeah. You know, some of these games that deal with these issues are very powerful, because you're not just watching the screen, you know what I mean, as these things come up. You're actually interacting, I mean, a... a game that I have not finished yet. I forgot what I bought it on, but there's a game called um, That Dragon Cancer, I believe it is. What it was is the guy lost his son to cancer. So what he did was he made a game based on his experiences while his child was going through chemo. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's uh, interesting to hear. And again, because it helped him, sounds like it helped him with, uh, you know, deal with that difficult time in your life. And I can agree where you said that, how it can be more of an effective medium than than movies, because video games are, in by their nature, interactive. And I, I mean, I, I know there's been times in my life where there's there's just certain video games that I associate with certain things that I've gone through. Uh, like back when I was in high school, um, there were there was a time where I was dealing with some trust and betrayal issues with uh, someone who was a friend of mine back then. Notice I said was. And one of the games that I was playing at the time was Final Fantasy. Well, 
back then it was Final Fantasy 2, but of course we know it now as Final Fantasy 4. So, you know, the whole thing about what was going on with Cecil and Kane in that game, it really made sense to me on a number of levels. So for me, playing that video game really helped me deal with some of those issues that was going, you know, that that I was dealing with at that time. And the same thing with the music. I mean, that helped pull me through as well. But, yeah. you know, then again, I mean, most of the Final Fantasy games have always had really good music scores anyway. So that's, I guess, my story about how I can think of a time where a video game helped me through a situation. Oh, yes. Also, Final Fantasy 3 slash 6. Uh, when I, again, in my later college years and uh, after I graduated from college, that game always helped me through some of the um, tougher times in my life, both, you know, the music and then just actually playing the game to experience the story. Um, so, yeah, like I said, there, again, it's just good to hear that when you have a psychologist actually publishing books about this, and I'm sure there's been other people uh, who've you know, published works on this as well, saying that, yes, video games can be therapeutic and they can help, they can have positive health effects on you. Yeah, and, and for for me, it's like I'm not very social, you know what I mean? So where I don't like to go out, I don't like necessarily a lot of noise, I don't like to be around a large group of people. So, like, for me, you know, one of the ways... I do that is through games like Final Fantasy XIV or through a game like uh, World of Warcraft where, you know, I can get some social interaction. It's in a format that I, I, I enjoy, but you know what I mean? I still don't need to feel, you know, there. but the one interesting thing of that is it can be a good and a bad thing because I'm using it as a crutch, but as a, at the same time, what would I have if I didn't have that? That is true, and it's, I mean, it's, uh, do you think it's a situation in your case where it's like something is better than nothing? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, and don't you work kind of goofy hours? I mean, you usually work weekends, right? Yeah, I work two 12-hour days on Saturday and Sunday, and then, you know, two days during the week. So, like, where I used to have, like, game time for, like, D&D, Shadowrun, or, you know, whatever we were playing... You know, I don't have the ability to do that anymore. So that's good to hear that that's helped you out. And again, how uh, it's I it is. I mean, I always like it when we can put these personal touches on the stories. So the next story we have, and this is one that I know you are happy to hear about. Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft are going to require their developers, anyone who is publishing games on their system, if they use loot box mechanics they have to disclose the odds by the end of 2020. Now, originally, I saw the story about this on Tech Review USA, uh, though I did find an article on The Verge, and they did have some quotes from a uh, spokesman from Microsoft and Sony, and it looks like, um, oh yes, and they did have a, they did have a spokesman from Nintendo, but uh, they didn't list the people's names, but uh, to quote the article, we believe in transparency with customers, providing them information for making their purchase decisions, a Microsoft spokesperson told The Verge. This is why by 2020, all new apps or games offering loot boxes or other mechanisms on Microsoft platforms 
that provide randomized virtual items for purchase must disclose to customers prior to purchase the odds of receiving each item. A Sony, a Sony spokesperson verified the commitment. We support industry efforts to disclose the probability of obtaining randomized virtual items, known as loot boxes, and are committed to providing customers with this information for all games we produce and publish. Nintendo, too, said it would be increasing transparency in loot box, purchase, loot box purchasing. At Nintendo, ensuring that our customers can make informed choices when they play our games is very important, a Nintendo spokes, spokesperson said. As part of our un ongoing efforts in this area, Nintendo will require disclosure of drop rates in Nintendo Switch games that offer randomized virtual items for purchase, such as loot boxes. So when you saw that story, where did you do a happy dance? Not exactly, because it's not getting rid of loot boxes entirely. It's kind of like, this is what the games industry should have done by themselves. This was the minimum of what what was needed. Just to show, you know what I mean? Hey, mm -hmm. yeah, there's not a 100% chance on these things. Here's what it actually means when you're picking one of these things up. You know what I mean? It's the absolute minimum they can do. And hats off to Sony and Microsoft, because again... And Nintendo. Know, Nintendo's doing it and, too. And Nintendo. If if the games industry is not willing to regulate itself, you know, the government's going to step in, and you might not like that. You know, so, like I said, it's I'm happy because it's being done, but again, this is the bare minimum. I mean, I think it's definitely an important first step, but... I'm not sure exactly how how effective it's going to be because if you're talking like someone like my son's age or younger, well, I mean, I'm sure my son, he's old enough where he can probably understand the odds where yeah. if it says like, okay, there's a one in a hundred thousand chance you're going to get this item. He realizes that, you know, there's a, there's a slim chance he's going to get that particular item. However, if he was younger, like I believe I told this story on this particular show how when my son was uh, younger, maybe like, I'm wanting to say five or six, he made an in, a $100 in-app purchase. Now, at that age, he wouldn't have, well, he probably wouldn't have bothered to read it, but he he wouldn't have understand understood what that meant when they said, okay, there's a one in 100. Well, actually, no, I'm sorry. That's a bad example because that was different. That was like an in-app purchase for a resource. It wasn't truly a loot box, but... I mean, it is good. I mean, I I know we differ on this where I'm not entirely against loot boxes, but I think that I think that a gamer that game companies should try to introduce some sort of effort to make people aware of the fact that yes, they can be addictive and yeah, just because you're drawing doesn't mean you're gonna get something you want. Yeah. I agree. The article the, from The Verge does mention, and I think we talked about uh, this guy before, Senator Josh Hawley from uh, Missouri, the Protecting Children from Abusive Games Act, which uh, was back in May, that would ban the sale of loot boxes to minors under the age of 18 and make it unlawful for minor-oriented games to include pay-to-win microtransactions and mechanics. Now... Uh, again, I, in a way, I would almost see that particular goal as more of a slippery slope because I fully understand, 
and agree with you know having games that are marketed towards children that include those pay to win microtransactions and mechanics but at what point do we have to be like well you know at what point does the government really have to get in there and start interfering with how companies make their games and make their money off the games no comment <laughs> again but you know my position on the loot yeah. box yes it's, yeah. it's they they know what they're doing there there's stuff from from EA proving that they went to psychologists to design this to be a trap that loot boxes like that should be even offered to minors you would not do this in any other industry you know they're like these are like Kinder eggs, except Kinder eggs you don't really care. They're on the they're on the thing. You want the chocolate more than you want anything that's inside. Nobody like goes, look, you could get this from the Kinder egg. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's not the it's not the same at all. And that we're even still talking about it to go to go further than that. Did you did you happen to see anything on the uh, loot box for the special thing for Apex Legends? I have not. So apparently there's a special, this is just a rundown from what I, re I remember hearing about and reading, but there was a special seasonal thing where they gave out really good skins and uh, other items, and the loot boxes had pretty much a 50-50 chance of getting them. So that's good, right? Yeah. Except to get all the items, to get the real special item that everybody wanted, because once you got all the items, you could actually get like a special item. It would have cost a hundred. I think it was a hundred and seventy dollars to buy all the loot boxes. Wow! That you would need in order to get to get the special item. Yeah, and at that point, it's just ridiculous. I mean, that's like more than the game itself. And then the and then the devs called people dicks and freeloaders and other things. When they were like, you know, maybe that's a little excessive. <laughs> yeah. Well, and one of the things that I do agree with, and unfortunately they're not going away, and it's something that I think we have to deal with, and that's the whole play-to-win microtransactions. Because, yeah. uh, again, because I think there can there's certainly different levels of, of microtransactions. Like I've mentioned about uh, Final Fantasy Record Keeper, you know, a game that both my son and I play and enjoy, yeah, there's microtransactions in there, but if I was spending $500 a month in in-app in purchases on that game, and let's say you played the game as well, that's not going to affect you. Uh, it might actually help you because if we're doing a raid together, it means I might have really good equipment, so I might be able to help clear the raid a lot easier. Now, the problem is the pay-to-win microtransactions um, because... Well, one game that I've heard people use as an example is Game of War, which, did you ever play that game? Um, I played it a little bit, but I never actually got into it. No, I, I've never played it. Because the way that game uh, worked, and I read an article about a guy who racked up thousands of dollars in bills uh, with in-app purchases. See, the... It's designed almost as a way where you have to pay a lot of money to, to really get far in it because, like, one of the things in the game is you build different structures to train your troops. So, 
like let's say you want to train basic foot soldiers. Okay, well, to build that facility, maybe it only takes, you know, two or three minutes of in-game time. But if you want some elite soldier, it takes longer. Or as you start leveling up your, your training centers, uh, again, it takes longer. Where I think one friend of mine was saying that they calculated that so when you start to get to the higher level stuff, it can take months to complete. Mm -hmm. And, okay, so you can wait those months while you're constantly getting attacked and not being able to do anything. Or you can pay 99 cents. And, oh, now it's done instantly. And he was also mentioning that one of the problems with the mechanics in that game, and I've seen this in some other games I've played as well, where if there's a player versus player component where people can attack you, then you can purchase shields, which basically protect you from being attacked for a certain amount of time. So, you know, what they were saying is that if, let's say, someone attacks you, okay, the game sends you a notification and you get a certain amount of time to get ready to respond to it. Um, however, let's say you're, you're at work and you can't, you know, so you can't just go dig out your phone and start playing a game in the middle of your work day. Or if you're going to be on vacation for a while, well, then you could get attacked by a, well, potentially you could get attacked by a higher level player and have your entire army wiped out. But unless, of course, you're per spending money to buy shields. So those types of mechanics, I think, are, are crap, and those need to die a horrible, painful death. So, I, I again, I, the pay-to-win mechanic, I am 50-50 on. Like, loot boxes, I'm totally no. Those don't need to exist. Wait, Wayne, I thought one of the EA executives said it wasn't loot boxes. They were surprise, surprise mechanics. Surprise mechanics, <laughs> yeah. Nice try. Um, <laughs> no, but I'm not against pay-to-win. Well, let me rephrase it. Pay to win in multiplayer games, I think, is kind of – it shouldn't be a race to the top and see how many, much people can spend. But there was a, ga a game called Tales of Zillia for PS1 where if you wanted to, you could buy XP boosts and whatnot. Now, where it gets bad is in, say, Assassin's Creed Odyssey where the XP grind was severely overinflated so that you would get frustrated and want to buy the XP boosts because it would take too long to level your character or whatnot. Yeah, so and didn't, that, uh, didn't Red Dead Redemption 2 uh, have the same problem? I think so, but I'm not as familiar with that one. I know they have the gold bars and the online, which was totally ridiculous. Yeah, that's Apparently, what I meant. I, I think I remember you mentioning that. And I don't know if it's ever been fixed. I heard they were trying to, or as Rockstar would try to, you know what I mean? So I'm not against, like, pay-to-win mechanics as long as they don't upset the balance of the game. If it's a multiplayer game... It depends how they're done, but normally that would be a no for me because it's like, well, if I don't want to spend money, but I still want, I should still have like a level of skill that I can reach without having to pay or to be able to get as good stuff in game as somebody who who pays for it. Now, in single player or in things that don't really matter, as long as you're not forcing me down a path of frustration, 
to force me to, you know, buy an XP boost or buy that. I have no problem with that. You, people can spend their money any way they want. It's only the things that, you know, when you know that are just anti-consumer or psychologically manipulative, I think those are the things that really have to be looked at more than anything else. Yeah, that that I can agree with. And and just remember to our listeners, if you're one of the if you're one of those kind of people who can afford to spend hundreds of dollars a month on these in-app purchases and microtransactions, please send an email to poigamestudio at gmail.com. Let Wayne and I know where you work, that they pay you that much, and let us know if they are hiring. Also, if you do have extra money that you'd like to donate just because, <laughs> we will try to find a way to become 501c3s and be tax-deductible for you. Yeah, there we go. Because we're providing a public service in a way, aren't we? I mean, you know, we're... I, we're... That's, that's what I'm saying. And, you know, EA... EA, any of those cell phone companies, they ain't giving you that crap. You know, they're not giving you any tax write-offs. That's true. So, well, moving on to our next story, and this one that, in a way, it kind of has a little bit to do with the last story about microtransactions specifically, and that is Bandai Namco is going to be entering the mobile gaming market. They will be opening a mobile studio in early 2020. Now, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about this, uh, and I know we've joked around before, it's like, imagine if Super Mario Brothers was a cell phone game. Oh, you lost your mushroom. Pay 99 cents for a new one. But the reason I really wanted to talk about this, though, is because, I mean, Namco is one of those companies that's about as old as the video game industry itself. I mean, they date back to the late 1970s, right when the arcade age was beginning. And while granted not every game they made is necessarily a classic, they have brought us some games that are very iconic. You know, like Pac-Man, Galaga, Galaxian, uh, Dig Dug, uh, another one of my favorite arcade games, Mappy. Uh, so the, and of course, you know, Miss Pac-Man and all the other uh, Pac-Man spinoffs. Uh, Sky Kid, that's another game that um, I really enjoyed that they made. So, like I said, they're just one of those game companies that, at least in my opinion, is probably just about as iconic and important to the video game industry as Nintendo and Sega are. So, what are your thoughts on hearing that uh, they're throwing their hat into the mobile gaming market ring. They're a little late. No, yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, I, I didn't see, but I thought they said something about microtransactions and what they're looking to do on the whole, you know, monetizing thing. I mean, I don't, I don't see it in here if there is any, but Eh, they're they're just late at this point, and uh, what except for their properties? I mean, Bandai Namco is huge. You know, I don't know what they're gonna bring to the you know to to the thing. I know I don't want to play Pac-Man, Galaga, most of that crap on a cell phone. I mean, you know, maybe if I have a Bluetooth controller, but t again, I know we differ on this opinion, but touch screen on a cell phone just doesn't do it for me for gaming for some reason it just it's not 
fun. And, and that I can agree with because, I mean, touchscreen mechanics, in some situations they can work. In some situations they don't really work as well as, you know, we, we hope they will. And, I, I mean, I could see them uh, possibly bringing some of their more well-known properties like, again, Pac-Man or Dig Dug to the mobile gaming market. Now, of course, how well they're going to, to be implemented, well, we'll kind of have to wait and see if they, if they even do that. Um, I mean, I could see them, I mean, the article that I read didn't say anything about the microtransactions, but I mean, I could certainly see them working it in there like, uh, you know, um, you know, like Pac-Man, hey, looks like there aren't any power pellets on the screen, pay 99 cents and we'll throw a power pellet in there. Mm. All right. I, I I will concede. I I don't know how that that might make the nah, that's all. I'm, not really sure where to go with this one, or no, not not with the power pellet thing. No, that's yeah. like. <laughs> well, like I said, we'll we'll have to see what comes of it. I mean, honestly, I mean, I well, actually, I do remember seeing one game, Pac-Man game for the cell phone. I'm not saying there aren't others. It's just the only one I can remember. I think it was called Pac-Man 256. Oh, because... that, that game is actually good. Um, I just don't like the... I didn't necessarily like the touchscreens controls, but it was fun. Yeah, and I think there was some microtransactions in that one, but, uh, you know, I, I think there's certainly some uh, potential there. We'll have to see what they do. Uh, but, I don't know, I just think it would be kind of fun maybe to be able to play some of these classic games on my phone. So, well, moving forward, uh, for any Garfield fans out there, you're in luck because this November there's going to be a new uh, Garfield game called Garfield Kart Furious Racing. So it's going to be released for your major systems, the Switch, the Xbox, and the PlayStation now, were you ever much of a Garfield fan back in the day? I love Garfield. I am very happy with the Garfield. He is the one who taught me how to love lasagna. <laughs> that is true. So, I mean, again, we'll have to see what comes of this. I've because I there was actually a Garfield Kart game released in 2013. Um, unfortunately, it received mostly negative reviews. Now, I was actually surprised, though, because, I mean, is Garfield really very relevant anymore? Um, I mean, I know that the, I mean, I'm pretty sure the comics are still going. You know, I don't know if Jim Davis is still making the, uh, you know, the books, but I'm sure the strips are still going. He, the answer is no, not at all. <laughs> okay. So he's not making any new books. He's just making the... Oh, uh, that, that, I, that I don't know about. Um, okay. I just know when you said it was relevant, um, no, Garfield is not relevant at all. It's it's just a property to make a, made a, make a card game. I mean, and I remember some of the primetime uh, specials that they had back in the day, the cartoons, because let's take the... Uh, Let's take the audience back, because you remember in back in those days, those primetime specials were specials. I mean, they were an experience because, you know, back in the, you know, early mid 80s, not everyone had 
the, you know, not everyone had a VCR. So like I remember one of my favorite ones I remember was the Garfield Halloween special uh, because they had some ghosts in there that were actually pretty scary for a kid's show. So do you ever remember catching any of those back in the day? Oh, yeah. No, I I loved Garfield and Friends. I Oh, yeah, was there was the little, cartoon. Was a little bit less uh, of the Friends. I was like more Garfield. I, I really forget most of the specials that were on, but I did look forward to them. Like, I mean, every Christmas you had all your all your normal stuff come on, uh, you know, Halloween. Yep, there were there were Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas specials for Garfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know there was also one Garfield in the Rough, which I think that's he got lost in the woods or something. There was Garfield on the town where he would, uh, where he I think he got lost in the city or something. And then another one that I liked, I remember liking was Garfield in Paradise, where uh, Garfield and you know John and Odie went to. Uh, Hawaii and uh, they got in some goofy movie there so or some goofy adventure but I mean I don't know I guess the reason I'm surprised about that is I can't really remember the time when the Garfield franchise was really relevant Uh, because I mean I know I mean I know they did try making some movies Uh, the live action ones I guess weren't really yeah they were not very well received I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think they were ever really, or Garfield was never that popular. I think the biggest thing was just the merchandise. Like, you had the little stuffed uh, Garfields that you put on your car uh, with little sayings on it. Uh, and it was pretty much a novelty item more than anything. I think the actual comic and the books, I think about probably around 86 to 90 is when. Garfield really started to, you know, dive. You know what I mean? I think by the by 1994, I want to say that was about the time where everybody was kind of like done with Garfield, and that's when the kind of the reboots I think started happening after those times. And by 2000, I want to say by 2002, 2003, I think that's when he pretty much went away. I don't know. I don't remember when the first movie came out, but that was the first time to bring him back into relevance. And since the movie wasn't really that good. Yeah, because uh, it looks like, see, according to Wikipedia, uh, there were, okay, so there was the Garfield and Friends at, yeah, the ran from 88 to 94. Uh, there was another, a new Garfield cartoon series, The Garfield Show, from 2009 to 2016. Frank Welker taking the voice of Garfield, so... No, that there's a plus. Um, the yeah, then there were the movies in 2004 and 2006, and then there were animated films released in 2007, 2008, and 2009. So, actually, that'd be interest. I'm interested in seeing that because I'd be interested in hearing Frank Welker's take on the voice of Garfield because I'm just so used to Lorenzo Music voicing that character. Yeah, what I would like to do is I I would like to actually see if somebody would do a like a documentary and just the rise and fall of kind of like garfield that is true um that might be uh let's see just paging through the wikipedia article okay it doesn't say anything about when it actually declined but just based on the timelines for the movies 
yeah, I think you are right. Where around the mid '90s, it started to uh, it started to decline, and then you know after that, it there was the attempt to revive it in the early 2000s, which uh, looks like didn't really make uh, didn't really wasn't very successful. So that's why I was surprised to hear about it. Not saying it's necessarily going to be a bad game, but I'm just I just wonder if it's how well it's really going to sell because. I didn't really realize there was still that much of a demand for Garfield products. No, and there's not. And especially with more, you can buy Mario Kart. You can buy, I think, the Crash Bandicoot Kart I heard was really good. I've never played it. But, you know what I mean? You've got these other kart games that do it so well. Yeah, and that was another one of my concerns is that, okay, I think a lot of people are just going to look at it and go, well, it's Mario Kart, but with Garfield. So... And if you like Mario Kart, it's like, well, do I really need to play another character-based kart racing game? Yeah. Unfortunately, though, there's a potential that sometime next year, if you want to buy that game or a console to play it on, assuming you don't have a console for it, it might cost you a little bit more. Uh, There's an article from uh, The Deal Experts, and I know I saw similar articles in a couple other places, that there is a plan to uh, put a 10% tax on video game consoles. So the Office of United States Trade Representative announced on Tuesday, and this article is dated August 15th, that the 10% tax on video games and other consumer electronics has been delayed until December 15th. According to President Trump, the reason for this is to prevent the tariffs from having a negative impact on the holiday shopping season. Uh, you know, at least, okay, I'm not in favor of the tariffs because I actually read, and again, I, I know this is going to be a little bit more political than we usually get on this show, but I mean, this, I thought it was relevant to cover this because, you know, video, a lot of video game consoles are manufactured in China. And this is where I think this tariff thing is, they're doing is just so stupid because, Who pays for the tariff? See, I'm of the opposite, yet same position you are. I'm of the opposition because I think China needed to be slapped around a little bit for some of their practices. The problem is when you start a trade war, you need to have a plan. You need to have a way of getting what you get from the place that you're starting a trade war from from either other sources or in your own country so that people have a choice and an alternative to pay so that they're not spending the money on the goods from the country that you're starting a trade war with. The problem is we decided to start a trade war, but we didn't make sure that people had an alternative. So like you're saying, everybody's ending up paying just as much And to be honest with you, China may be grumpy about the tariffs, but like you said, they're not really the ones paying for it because we've gotten rid of all the industry to take care of that, and we never made sure that there were other products on the market except for Chinese products to supplement it. Yeah, because I actually read an article earlier today, and just for reference, we're recording this on August 19th, where it's estimated that 
the average American family is probably going to have to spend $1,000 more a year because of the result of the tariffs. Because, yeah, okay, so what happens when they put a tariff on something? Well, it costs more for them to sell the product. So what happens? The retailers, they pass the cost on to the consumer. So, the yeah, these, these tariff wars are just senseless because... I mean, I get what they're trying to do, trying to get people to buy American, but in that, in this case, well, how many video game consoles are made in America? And if they were made in America, how ex they'd probably be significantly more expensive. Yeah, and like I said, it would have been a good idea if he would have set, you know, if you would have set up beforehand. Okay, well, what's being tariffed? What's being raised? And what's our alternative for people to buy so that they don't have to buy the higher-priced good? Yeah, because according to this article, back in June, Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo all sent a joint letter to the USTR claiming that the proposed tariffs on consoles will result in, quote, a ripple effect of harm that extends throughout the video game ecosystem, end quote. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, and yeah, that's why I said. That's why I'm hoping that the government comes to their senses and they, oh, yeah. they, oh, pull... oh sweet summer child. <laughs> I'm, I'm having too much hope, aren't I? You know, hope left. Obama took it away. Hope is coming. Change is coming. Well, I don't know about you. I've been checking the pay phones. What little still leaves the Coke machines. I haven't gotten any change yet. <laughs> but... Or not, not the change that I was hoping for. Yeah, so I don't know. Like I said, we'll we'll have to see. I like I said before, I'm hoping that uh, they decide to. I'm hoping that they decide to have a change of heart on this whole tariff and trade war thing, because in the end, people like you, me, and the listeners, we're the ones that have to to bear the brunt of, you know, through increased costs and. Well, guess what? It becomes a vicious cycle where if a company has to charge more for their products, then there's a possibility they're going to sell fewer units of that product. By that, And when they sell fewer products, there's a potential that business is going to decrease. And when business decreases, there's a potential that people are going to get laid off. And when people get laid off and lose their jobs, well, then you have less people that are spending money. Less people spending money means companies make less money because no one's buying anything, and the cycle just keeps going and going. You mean we're we're not we're not those so people when they lose jobs they don't have magical bank accounts that suddenly just give them money. I, if there was, I wish I would have had one of those. <laughs> but I wish every day I had one of those. <laughs> but that actually does work its way into their next story. And that's that's why I tried to make that transition there. I'm not sure if it was really clever or not. Was do you think that was a good transition into our next story, or yes, no, maybe so? Only the listener can decide. <laughs> Only the listener. Well, I I suppose we should tell you what the next story is before we decide if there was a good transition or not, huh? Yeah, I think okay. so. Where well, are we going? The next Leave story. <laughs> the next story. Uh, originally, I saw this as another video on the YouTube channel Tech Review USA, and I did look up an article about this from Gizmondo, and um, 
just for the audience, this is a last-minute addition to the show lineup here. And that is the company Loot Crate is going bankrupt. So I'm wondering if the reason they're going bankrupt, I, I wasn't able to find a lot of information as to exactly why and how they are going through bankrupt. Um, but I'm guessing it probably had something where maybe they just weren't making enough sales. And it's unfortunate because according to the video I saw and the article, the employees that are being let go aren't getting any sort of severance pay. So now you're going to have, granted it's a small number of people, but still those are people now who don't have jobs. They're not going to be spending as much money until they get a new job. And again, that's not going to help the economy when you don't have people out there making purchases. Now, did you did you ever uh, subscribe to Loot Crate at all? No. I am, I am the one person they needed to keep from bankruptcy. <laughs> so, yeah, I never really got into it either. I know I have friends who have done it, but I'm not... I never actually did it. And, and for those who maybe aren't familiar with it, and I'm sure most listeners probably are, but basically what Loot... As a friend of mine described it, Loot Crate was nerd merch, where you paid a subscription fee, and I guess you chose what category you wanted to subscribe to, and then every month you would get a box with goodies in, usually little knick-knacky things, like let's say, for example, you did comic books, uh, maybe you might get a Superman bobblehead, a Batman poster, and a Deadpool bumper sticker or something like that. So generally it's these little, you know, just little knick-knacky things. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the company did start in 2012 and, you know, so they had about a seven year run there. And I, when I was watching that video on Tech Review USA, uh, the host, Rich, thought that it wasn't really, it sounded like he thought it wasn't really very sustainable. I don't know. What are your opinions on this? Since I never really subscribed to it, um, I mean, I, I felt like I wouldn't because I'm a little overweight, so I would need bigger shirts. And I know shirts were a big thing. Um, I think they may have, I mean, you'd have to find somebody who actually subscribed to it, but the quality of goods may have been the quality of the of goods and what they were including in their boxes may have eventually just eaten up what they were getting in revenue. I mean, it might not have, but if you have high quality t-shirts, those can cost a little bit and then screen printing them plus whatever you're giving out each month. I mean, it's, it's hard to say. It's, it's not something that I was necessarily interested in because like you said, it's mostly knickknacks and, you know, little collectible stuff maybe, but it was never anything that was something like you looked at and said, Hey, I need that. You know what I mean? It was mm -hmm. just, it was just something to get. And I, I, I can't tell you why. I mean, but it did start. What's funny is it did start off the box craze because, because if you notice you can buy, almost anything you can get soap boxes i think now you can get style boxes which will send you clothing uh you can get different other different kinds of boxes it started out those so it makes me wonder will those kinds of things 
start, you know what I mean, having money trouble as well. Yeah, and I know for a while the whole uh, unboxing, loot trade unboxing, were were pop fairly popular on YouTube, where you know people would be like, "Hey, I've got my you know monthly video game loot box, so watch me unpack it, and you can see all the nifty little things I've got." So, yeah, I mean, it's like I said, it's sad. I definitely feel more. I feel, definitely feel sorrier for the employees than I do for the companies. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure they probably weren't exactly making great money, but you know, I am hoping that at least the people who I'm hoping that the people who were affected by this do manage to get back on their feet quickly. Cause okay. I mean, it was tr- an original idea. I mean, it mm-hmm. definitely was an original idea. Don't get me wrong. It's just, so do you think that maybe if they maybe charged more but offered better items, they would have maybe gotten, they maybe would have lasted longer? Um. So here's what I have. Just looking this up on a Google search, right? Because I was trying to find out the why. But supposedly they have, they have not shipped goods tied to $20 million in sales. So if they would have shipped that, they might have been able to make $20 million, right? At least that's how I read that. The company owes more than $30 million in trade debt. So, I, I again, I'm, I'm just thinking that somehow what they put in wasn't getting enough profit out. Mm-hmm. Like somewhere along probably shipping cost and... You know what I mean? Just manufacturing cost or whatnot. I, I think somehow they just made an error. Yeah. So if you have twenty mil, if you have twenty million dollars in sales and you owe thirty, I mean, unless maybe they've already blown through that cash, like they spent it without shipping it out. That's the only thing I can think of. I mean, unless, like I said, they didn't buy the thing to get the twenty million dollars in sales. And the thing I wonder is I thought there was more than just Loot Crate. I thought Loot Crate also had different other kinds of crates and surprise boxes as well that they were doing. So I wonder if they went too far also. You know what I mean? If they tried to split off. and I just think it just got away from them, if I'm right. Yeah, it's it's possible. And uh, one of the, the article I read was also saying that part of the problem was a lack of interesting exclusives and just, to, you know, not really interesting items. So yeah, it sounds yeah. like they they probably had a decent run. It's just they just couldn't yeah couldn't find the right business model to sustain themselves. Yeah, and that and that's what I would think too. Because I think you could you know even though you might have a subscription to the loot crate. I think you could I think you could skip months if you weren't interested in them. Yeah. Well, moving on to the opinion section. Okay. We're I have a feeling that we're going to get a bit more political and a little more off topic on this particular opinion section. So if you aren't interested in that, you might want to uh, might want to end the episode here. We can't ignore the unfortunate recent rash of mass shootings that have occurred uh, this month. I mean, I know 
well, actually, I think it was maybe late last month, but there was that one at the Garlic Festival in California. Yeah. And then earlier this month, there was a shooting in Dayton, Ohio, and then there was another one in El Paso, Texas. And, okay, before we begin this segment, just one thing I want to mention, just so listeners know where I stand on the topic of guns, I'm not anti-gun. But I don't consider myself strongly pro-gun. I fully support responsible gun ownership. If someone wants to have a gun for hunting or recreational shooting, that's fine. I don't necessarily see any problem with that. If someone wants to get a handgun for self-defense and get a concealed carry license, I'm not really against that either. I think, though, that if you take one of those classes, and I'm sure that they they beat this into your head, you have to understand what situations, in what situations is using a gun on someone justifiable. Because if you pull a gun on someone, shoot them, and if you can't prove that your life was in danger and there was a good reason to shoot that person, you better believe your ass needs to go to jail. That being said, while I support responsible gun ownership, I don't think any civilian needs military-grade weapons. I also don't think you need a high-capacity magazine. You don't need that for hunting. I'm sorry. If you can't hit a deer, or rather, if the only way you can hit a deer is with a fully automatic rifle and a 30-shot magazine, no, you don't need a better gun. You need some f***ing shooting lessons. Okay, so now that I've got that out of the way, so I don't know, do you want to, where do you stand on guns and stuff? I stand on top of the gun. <laughs> just on top of it. Just, you know, I look down at it every once in a while. I, I scuff it up a little bit, thinking someone will come around to clean it eventually. Okay. Um, no, uh, to be honest with you, I, I follow the same thing that you do, really. I think uh, the... The entire gun thing is I'm all for the right to bear arms. Um, I think everybody needs surgically grafted bear arms attached to their bodies, <laughs> uh, fully fully working. But my thing is we're dealing in a time where the government we, – we don't have good thing, outlets for mental health, right? And – most of the people, at least at one time when the gun, guns were an issue, right, for the mass shootings, most of the people who got the guns didn't necessarily get them legally. Like, if you remember all the way in Columbine, those kids didn't buy the guns. Somebody bought those guns for them. Yep, the gun show the, loophole. The one, the one that was the one where the kid, you know, cleared out an elementary school. Right, he didn't go out and buy those guns legally. He took them from, uh, you know, he must have found the cabinet where they were and took them from somebody else who owned guns. Are you talking about Sandy Hook? Yeah, Sandy Hook. Yeah, that he, that if my memory serves, he actually did take those guns from his mother and you promptly use it to kill his mother. So I might be wrong on that, but I think that's that's how how i remember it but anyways, and go i on. can't remember each individual shooting like i don't know if they'll find out you know where these people got these guns or whatnot you know what i mean but a lot of these times these guns aren't gotten legally 
So when we talk about the right to bear arms and the mass shootings, we've got to look at one, would gun laws have stopped some of these? And that's my problem with gun laws, right? We In Chicago, we've got some of the toughest gun laws there are, but we still have a huge amount of gun violence and homicide. Okay. Well, and Texas has, and again, I'm not picking on Texas here. Again, it's, it's tragic and it's terrible that this happened, but Texas also has some of the laxest gun laws as well as open carry, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, you've got it on two sections. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not opposed to more gun laws and mental health checks, you know, but it's that slippery slope. And my question really is, Will these do any good if people who are buying guns aren't the people that are really involved in the mass shootings? Yeah, and now when we look at the two recent shootings in Texas and Ohio, now first, okay, since we talk mostly about video games, I think you all can guess who the politicians are pointing the fingers at. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to read some quotes. This is an article that was published on August 4th, uh, a Yahoo News article uh, that it had some quotes from uh, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. How long are we going to let, for example, and ignore at the federal level particularly where they can do something about the video game industry? He also said, we've always had guns, we've always had evil, but what's changed is where we is, but what's changed where we see this rash of, rash of shooting? He continued calling violent video games the common denominator. Oh yeah, that's right, I forgot. Wayne, did you realize before video games, there were never any mass shootings before there were violent video games? Mm, no, but I, I'm, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, there possibly is a correlation just because how many mass shootings were there before, what, 1970-something? See, he also said, I see a video game industry that teaches young people to kill, he said. And the idea of these video games, they dehumanize individuals to have a game of shooting individuals and others. Okay, do you know what else dehumanizes people and teaches them to kill? Politics and religion, but no one wants to have that conversation ever, do they? <laughs> We can't talk about that here. Yeah, but... No, I'm um, No, this is the same, same, same thing. It just... We've no... And we talked about this before, right? It, there's no correlation between the two. I, I start thinking... You've seen South Park, the movie, right? Yes. Uh, I, I, bigger, I found, badder, uncut? Yeah. Bigger, longer... Yeah, I've seen that one. I find the GOP like Saddam Hussein. Look over there. Look over here. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's he's like, don't look over here. Look over, you know, look over there. And he's doing stuff. I that's the whole video game argument to me with the video games of violence. It's like, don't look at the real problems. And look the, over there. Yeah, look over there. You know it. The question I really have, though, is is it, is it really – because Democrats think they have the answer, right? And I wonder if the 
well, Republicans are, you know, Second Amendment and go guns. I wonder if they're also kind of going, we don't know what the answer is. Well, in the case of the two recent shootings, well, first the El Paso one. Now, the shooter did have a manifesto where he was talking about the Hispanic invasion and he was talking about white replacement. And he was using some very similar language to what Trump has used in the past, and as well as other members of officials, referring to the Hispanic invasion of America, that, you know, these, you know, that uh, people are going to be coming from Latin America and South America, and they're going to be, you know, coming in America, and they're going to be replacing white people. And... He did mention that. Now, the way they're trying to work video games into the El Paso shooting is apparently the the shooter in his manifesto had a brief reference to Call of Duty. Uh, specifically, he said something like attack low profile or low security targets. It's a great way to live out your COD super soldier fantasy. Okay, what kind of world does this person live in where he thinks that shooting unarmed people going about their day-to-day -day business somehow makes you a super soldier. But, I mean, trust me, and I understand for the wrong individual, they can possibly see that as, you know, living out some fantasy, and maybe it's quite possible they don't realize that what they're doing is they're ending people's lives. They're killing and hurting people. Now, in the case of the El Paso shooter... Uh, from the information that I was able, that I've seen so far, there's no indication that there's any mental health issues involved. Uh, so far, everything in the El Paso shooting seems to link it to racism, where he even told the cops that he specifically was targeting Mexicans. And again, as we mentioned before, uh, the he did have that manifesto where he was saying that he supported the Christchurch shooting, which is something we talked about a few episodes ago as well. I just, it, it gets so frustrating listening to politicians going after that low hanging fruit where they think that again, just blame the video games and ignore everything else. And in the case mm -hmm. of the El Paso shooter, it sounds like this was a, this was a clear cut case of racism and the, if I'm not mistaken, the FBI has decided they are going to be treating this as domestic terrorism, which it should be. Now, in the case of the Dayton shooting, so far, now the, the shooter was shot by police in that one. Yeah. Um, so the guy is dead. And, you know, we're not, as far as I know, they have not found a motive yet. Now, they, what we they, do know... They, oh, go ahead. They supposedly think that it was because his sister was there. So yes. they do think it was... But they also found links to Antifa, which I don't know how they found links to Antifa, but there you go. Somehow he was involved in Antifa in some kind of way. Well, um, this is what... Okay, this is from the, the Wikipedia article on it, and I think I've seen some stuff in other news reports that collaborate with this. Um, it was said that he listed himself as a supporter of Elizabeth Warren. He po he tweeted uh, things that were anti-Trump. 
he described himself as a Satanist and a leftist. Uh, he said something like, I'm going to hell and I'm not calling, I'm not coming back. Um, now, however, according to the, the Wikipedia article, and looks like they do have, um, you know, some links in here. Washington Post, there was an article that the guy's ex-girlfriend said that he heard voices in his head and talked about dark and evil things. Uh, it hasn't said anything yet about whether this guy played video games at all. We do know that he sung in this band, which apparently there's a grunge called Porno Grind, which focuses on like really sexual and violent lyrics. Uh, also, there are situations where people who knew him described him as a bully. Uh, he supposedly had a list of people he wanted to kill and or rape. And not only that, there's been report, and I read in another article that he would do things like uh, he would walk up to people and, you know, like, you, you know how you make the hand gesture where it looks like a gun mm -hmm. and pretend like he was shooting them. So in this case with the, the Dayton shooter, it would not surprise me if there was some underlying mental issue in there. Again, I don't know. It but, almost sounds like schizophrenic, possibly, you know, psychotic actions there. Yeah, like we could make a case, you know, he's hearing voices. That's what the one step that usually, you know, tells you really that you have a mental issue is once you start hearing the voices. I say it's one step further once you start taking their advice, but that's just me. Yeah, and now one thing I will give credit for, when I was doing you know look doing a little bit of research and looking up some articles on the shootings i did see more articles that did refer to what we've been saying all along there is no significant evidence to show that video games promote mass shootings or that they make people violent so maybe people are listening to us maybe the news outlets have actually been going you know those Alan Wayne guys, they actually have a point that uh, maybe video games don't make people violent. Okay, that's I. Okay, I'm 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 giving ourselves delusions of grandeur there, aren't I? No, no, I I totally agree with you. I think this one podcast will change so many people's <laughs> minds in this world that we just have to. Uh, what was oh uh, Parappa the rapper? You just gotta believe. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, it's, I don't know. I mean, I don't know, I don't claim to have the solution to the problem we've been having with mass shootings and violence in America. I know blaming video games is not going to solve the problem because, uh, again, as we've pointed out and it's numerous studies have pointed out, yeah. <laughs> you don't know. Seriously, though, and I think part of the problem is the some of the the stuff that people these guys were able to get access to the Dayton shooter he had a drum magazine with 100 shots who the fuck needs a, a magazine that holds 100 shots i mean maybe if you're in the military and you're on I, a military operation okay but what seriously dude, what I just need, i need that I, I need that. You don't understand. My need is so greater than anyone else's to be able to fire 100 bullets. I mean, 
Do you know how little 100 bullets is? That's not even a lot. I need more. <laughs> and not even M-O-R-E. M-O-A-R. Moar. Yeah. I need, I just, Moar. Yeah, and like I said, and I think that's part of the problem. Now, as I said before, before we started this segment, I'm not against people having guns. But there's no way in hell anyone needs a 100-round drum magazine. No, I you do. don't. Yes, I do. <laughs> no, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Okay, uh, write us, my everyone, cat, and tell us if my, you think. <laughs> my cat wants to play with the bullets, and I need to, to have a dispenser. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. They're shiny, and they roll. <laughs> well, I think, any final thoughts on this uh, opinion section, or do you think that it's uh, time to draw this episode to a close? Well, we've been going on for a little bit, but yeah, I my final opinion is I think that we have to stop for a moment as a country. Forget your political divides. We know gun laws may help, but they won't solve. We know video games are not killing people. They're not falling from the sky. They're not mind controlling you. They're not. They're not. You know, evil biomechanical terrors, you know, that crawl and attach to your spine and make you shoot people. Video games are not the problem. Gun laws may not solve the problem. I think there's a deeper issue, and we have to come together as a country and go, why the hell would anybody just decide to open fire on random, and sometimes not random, you know, innocent people? What is causing them not to just go and kill the one person that they're after. Why do they want to do as much damage as they can? That's the real problem. It's not necessarily the gun laws are going to solve it. The gun laws might help. You know, I'm not saying they won't. But I say there's a deeper problem than video games or that gun laws are going to cause that we need to fix or else all the stuff, no matter what anybody says, will never solve it. And that's my that's my take on it. Yeah, and again, just in the case of uh, with this these these two shootings that have been getting the attention, I think here it's it's very much clear because again the El Paso shooting was motivated by hate. Uh, yeah. That's what the and racism. That's what the shooter said and. You know, his manifesto, everything seems to indicate this was a hate crime. And so I think that we need to crack down on, I mean, I think maybe there needs to be harsher punishments for those types of crimes. But more importantly, I think we need to find ways to get, well, I think some of our political leaders need to stop that talk right away. Because unfortunately, you're going to have those people out there who are going to take that type of language as a mandate that they have to go out and do something. And unfortunately, in this case, in the El Paso shooting, it led someone to go out and kill a lot of people. And in the case of the the Dayton shooting, again, unfortunately, at this time, we don't really know exactly what the motivations were. But from what we've seen, some of the the, the research that's been done on it so far it seems in this case it's quite possible it may have been a mental health issue. And it would not surprise me if that's what caused that particular individual to go out and 
shoot those people if there was an underlying mental issue there. So and as you've said before, and I know you've said in other uh, times we've talked about this topic, we need to remove that stigma of having a mental illness so people go out and get the help they need. But I think we also need to work at making it easier and more affordable for people mm-hmm. to go out and get that help. And I deal with this every once in a while. Make sure that insurance companies outline their actual, because you may have good enough insurance to cover mental illness, you know, or mental health, help or psychology or any of that kind of stuff. You may not understand it because it's not as well put out there in your insurance. That's another thing that I I just thought about now. I, I I clearly I don't know how much it costs for me to go see a psychologist. I don't know if it's covered. I'm imagining it is, but I don't know for sure. Yeah. I mean, how many people do? I mean, is it just a specialist? Does it have any extra things? I would like this. I would like to make a public service announcement though. What's that? To the Hispanic uh, invasion army that's coming. Hola. Public service message out. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And again, I do apologize. We did get a bit political at the end there, at least more political than we usually get. Uh, again, and it's just, as I've said before, I'm, I fully support responsible gun ownership. But politicians have to stop saying that violent video games are the cause of all this. And they have to start looking into real answers, not just saying, look, violent video games. Yeah, it's like, I'm sorry, but this is the satanic panic all over again, in my opinion. So, yeah, well, I'm just I'm just waiting for one day for this invasion army that everybody keeps talking about to actually appear. I'm <laughs> thinking we'll have a big party at that point, but I I haven't seen it yet. So, I mean, I, I'm a little I'm a little displeased, man. This this guy is all talking about this. And, you know, we've got mental issues going on, voices being heard. And I've got an army that I can't find. So I'm just saying, I, I don't know. Well, we're going to leave it at that then. So until next okay. time, thanks for tuning in and keep on gaming. Keep on gaming. It was a dark and stormy night, and the hosts of the Queens of the Damned podcast had just gathered around the fire with their tomes of forgotten lore. Don't forget the wine. And a lot of wine much of which had already been imbibed. For her part, Miranda was discussing A history of Frankenstein, from its conception to Karloff's beloved role as the monster. And Rachel would continue with Vincent Price. Like everything about Vincent Price. And as the fire died down, Nikki would conclude the evening With something related to gothic literature, probably. You know me so well. Do you like listening to three women debate about the cultural significance of the horror genre? And also axe murders. I do love a good old-timey axe murder story. Then Queens of the Damned, a horror podcast, is the show for you. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere you can download a podcast. Visit us at queensofthedamnedpodcast.wordpress.com qotdpodcast.podbean.com or email us at qotdpodcast at gmail.com for more details about our monthly horror giveaways. Stay spooky!
have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.